So yeah, I'm Andile, known uh, Actually, I was thinking about Chesterville this morning when I was finishing up everything, polishing everything. I was like, hey, yeah, Chesterville. That's where I actually met Jamie. Um, so, so I happen to 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 to, to want to challenge you today. I, I really hope you you'll be challenged. I hope at night you won't sleep and thinking about one or two things I'm going to share with you today, and you begin to talk to God about them. That's what I'm hoping for. That's my hope. It's my prayer. I hope that today there is something that will stick, the Holy Spirit will take and kind of nudge you, especially about your neighbor. But let me get to my message so that you'll know why I like your neighbor, though I don't know your neighbor. And, and let's see how far we go with this message. So, Jamie, I closed this thing last night. I don't know if it's going to open now since we've been fiddling with it. Ah, it does. So I'm not sure how we're going to go with this gentleman over there, but he's going to be like, amen. I see that. I see that. He's right, right there. So there are two things I want to grapple with today. Uh, a church Deborah needs and a church we need to be. I didn't, I didn't want to leave that. I just want to connect what church, the Deborah church, and what we need to be. I want to grapple with those two things. The first thing I thought about, can I tidy up here first, Jimmy? I move around a lot, so I don't want to be. So the first thing that I wanted to, to, to kind of maybe put to mind to everybody here is that a need is a very good thing. I know a need, a need brings a lot of issues in people. Once you have need, you begin to have all kinds of feelings. But I want to present to you today before we start is that a need is a catalyst. A need is a catalyst. Whenever there is a need, it's a catalyst. The two scriptures I want to put in your mind. The scripture that Jesus uses says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I hope everybody knows being poor means you are needy. Being poor means you are needy. If somebody says you are poor, the next thing is you are needy. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second scripture is, A sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. I hope also we know that when you are broken, you are in need. When someone is broken, there's no argument about it. You are in need. But we're finding here that whenever this thing of need comes up, it means there's a certain things that come up inside of us. I wrote a few. Sometimes being needy means we lack, we feel inadequate. At least sometimes I feel like that when I'm in need, that I'm inadequate. I can't meet the challenge of the day or whatever. Second one is shame and regret. Some needs bring shame. We are humans. I don't know about you. There are needs sometimes that make you feel shameful. Maybe you feel like I was irresponsible, therefore I'm not able to be where I need to be. That's why I'm in need. And sometimes those needs that make us shameful make us withdraw. Because we are very ashamed that we're in need. And when we're not supposed, especially if you're an adult, you know. When an adult and things are not working out, you could feel shameful. And have some regrets. But also need is a very powerful space of feeling vulnerable. If you want to be, know a person who's vulnerable, it's a needy person. Vulnerability makes us really, need, make us very us vulnerable. Which gives us a doorway to humility. Though sometimes needs don't make us humble, some of us. But once we understand our vulnerability, usually humility should be the next step. Need gives us sight and connection. I think Peter says this, when you are suffering... Be aware that your brothers are suffering with you all around the world. 
Need makes us easily to connect. You know when you don't need of anything, it's difficult to think of someone who's not in need of anything. But when you're in need, it's very easy to know others also who are in need of what you're in need of. So need kind of gives us a very different sight of things around us. And need is a big connector. That's what I want to put to you. Needs bring connection. That's why I'm using that scripture. That whenever you are actually struggling and striving, understand this. You are not the only one. There are your brothers who believe in Christ like you, who believe in a miracle working God like you, who are in need. So need is a sight. It gives you sight. It also is a connector. So need is not a bad thing. I want to put it across to you. Need is not a bad thing. Need is an equalizer. And it brings mutual identification. Need, just need. I want us to undress shame from need. Need is need. Need equalizes. Need makes me see me in you and you in me. We can even talk about our needs, you know. I need this and you know those. Though sometimes we use complaining to do this, but if ever we were to remove the complaining and just talk about need, need, you'll realize that we're actually connected. We also must have the same needs and desires. Needs can bring out sincerity out of us if we give it an opportunity. You can undress yourself. You can stop pretending. You can stop being what you're not if ever you acknowledge that you're in need. You can undress. Sometimes we feel like we're better than others. Sometimes we feel like we're less than others. But need can actually make you realize that that's not the truth. You're just having need. So need can help us to journey towards genuineness and sincerity. If we're not using it to manipulate, it can lead you to manipulation. It can need you to pretend. But I want to present to you that need can be a big equalizer and need can make you sincere. But the biggest one that I love is that need is the catalyst of opportunity. The scripture tells us, come boldly before the throne of grace. When in, when, when in times of need... So need is a big catalyst, a big opportunity. So whenever you have need, according to what I believe and according to the kingdom, there is an opportunity. Because we can come boldly before the throne of grace in times of need. So there's mercy available and there's grace available. So we need to reorientate ourselves around need. Need is not something to be ashamed of. But need is a big catalyst, a big opportunity that can be addressed. So the second thing I want to I wanna t- touch on when we're dealing with the church that Deben needs is who we are. It's very easy for us to use our needs to define ourselves. So I want to separate the two. Need is not you. Or lack is not you. So we need to kind of know that need is need and who I am is a different person altogether. It's very easy for need to end up defining people. If you think Durban is, there are many things that you may define Deben as. You can even use what Deben needs as a definition for Deben. You can even use your needs to define yourself. I.e., I'm a very poor person. I'm sure we're familiar with those things when need begins to define people. Or we even see people through their needs. But I want to kind of ask, have us address that if we want to talk about the church Deben needs. I'm going to use Ephesians 2 from verse 8 to 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's nice that this definition has nothing to do with your effort, your ability, your responsibility, or lack thereof. 
This who you are has nothing to do with your efforts. Right? It's not from yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. It's a very big equalizer what you're talking about here. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The first thing I want to present to you is that we or you are God's. You don't own yourself. You are God's. I am God's. I am God's. So when we're thinking of, of the church, there needs, and we need to begin to separate the things we may define and who we are. That we are God's. Number two, we are God's handiwork. The other scripture says workmanship. If you go back to the greatest poetry, workmanship, it's something that is done with affection. We are an expression of a deep counsel of God. I think Jamie read that scripture, that through the church, God wants to express the manifold wisdom of his. So who we are also is that we are God's affectionate expression of who he is. We are not our problems nor lack thereof. We are God's and we are his workmanship. He is working in us. So if ever we were to actually even think of a, a, a church, Deben has to be, we have to think of who we are because we are that church. And that church has to have a proper identity that comes from God, not from us, not from our lack, not from the troubles that may encompass us. We are the deep affection. So whenever you are convicted, it's God deeply expressing his affection through you. The third thing, he did this so that we may do works with him. That he purposed before the foundations of the earth. This is a big thing for me at least. To know that my issue on earth doesn't begin because I landed in Devon in 2020 something and there's a whole lot of trouble. My life in God does not begin in the fact that I live in a city where there's looting, covered, no. My life in God does not begin in the problems of Devon. I'm not separating us from Durban, but I want us to know that this thing that we are supposed to be and do was before the foundations of the earth. It was in advance. This is a very powerful space to stand in. So you may know that I'm not, what I'm going to do is not created by the issues of the day. That's very important to stand on because sometimes we can be lost in the issues of the day and forget that there's something God is doing. You can even be defined by solving problems, especially if you do what I do. Some people are called philanthropists, right? So if there were no problems, where would be the philanthropy? I don't know. Think about it. Let's say there was no problems. So we must understand that our, our, who we are and what we ought to be does not begin in the challenges of that day. It's God's affection and expression of who he is for the work he prepared for us before the foundations of the earth. And that work primarily first is becoming like Christ. It's the work is working in us to become like Christ. And what we do in our environment then is an expression of that. So, so the second issue is our identity. If ever we're going to answer the question, what, the, what church Deben needs, we have to actually be clear about who we are. Clear about the fact that either we are able to respond to problems or not, it doesn't change who we are. And it doesn't change the workmanship of God in us and what he wants to accomplish about our life in that day. Because sometimes you may feel like you're not responding and then you begin to become, I don't know the word, is it despondent? You feel like, I'm not the right person. What am I doing? Am I not doing anything? And then you meet me, that I do a whole lot of things. You're like, ah! So, our identity, our identity has to be solidified. The workmanship of God inside of our life has to be solid. 
It has to be something that I rejoice and treasure because that's the thing that becomes the biggest arsenal of us. So we are gods. We don't belong to ourselves. That kind of has to shave off your agendas a bit. Imagine if your car were to tell you, you know, I have to go to Cape Town today. There has to be an expression in our lives where we know that we belong to God and his counsel and his agenda, not our own. So when we say we belong to God, we have to actually embrace that whole thing of he has to actually tell me what I need to become, who I need to do, what I need to do. So I'm going to look at two characters and then throw in the last one. People who live almost like us. I'm going to start with a guy who was in slavery. You know, sometimes when we read scriptures, we forget the characters and their circumstances. When you say Daniel, you think of the fire, you think of all these lovely stories, eh? You forget that this boy was a slave. <laughs> he was in slavery. So I do not know what could be worse than that. But let's look at this. And what I term this is, is heaven is waiting. Why are we in the different... Aha, uh-huh. there we go. Heaven is waiting. That's what I want to provoke in your thought today. Heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting. So if we're dealing with the church Deben needs, to us who are church in Deben... Heaven is waiting. So let's look at Daniel and how he responded to this. This is Daniel chapter 9 from 1 to 3. There's a lot of drama that happens before, but there's a point where Daniel begins to concern himself about their state. The state of things and state of why they are here. He begins to do something. In the first year of Darius, son of, of, of Xerxes, a Medibite descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, In the first day of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and plead with him in prayer, petition, and in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. So I'm not sure what could be the concerns you have about Deben today. But the starting place about in this church that Deben has... The church that Deben needs doesn't begin in the list of things that you may be concerned about, Deben. I always joke about Jimmy that the park gets cut on this side. It doesn't get cut inside. Just, I'm, I'm quite, I always observe things. You know, that sometimes in Glenwood, you can't walk at night anymore. I used to walk when I used to live here. But now you can't. Because an Uber guy could mug you. Meaning, it doesn't begin in the list of concerns you may have. It begins in this. Daniel inquired of what God had said about their state of things. Their state of things. Where do we draw understanding of the issues or the time we live in? Narratives are a big battle today. I mean, there is a lot of content being generated. Meaning there is a a lot of narratives that are flying in our heads. That could be the filter that we use to determine how we respond in Durban. And we're powerfully speaking people today. So our narrative of things has to come from what God has spoken and what is written. We have to actually begin to do diligence. What prophetic words were released over Deben? What has God, since I live in Deben, what has God said to me? Because Daniel here was talking about themselves. About Jerusalem, which connects to him. So, if I were to say Harbor City, take the profile of prophetic words you have. 
Let's put them clearly down and begin to say, this is what God needs. This is what we're going to petition God for. We're not starting in all the craziness of experience. We're going to start in what God has said about Durban. I'm going to want to know what God has said in various churches around Durban. Because I want to know what kind of church Durban needs. I'm sure there were many guys here who were trying to escape, I'm sure. I mean, if you're in slavery, what is the next thought? I want to escape. But Daniel chose God's way of actually leaving Babylon. So that's the first issue. One, we have to actually search the speakings of God and the perspective from God about the place, the issues, and the brokenness of our day. So we have to pray and fast. As simple as that sounds, that's our starting place. But we must not just randomly about things you feel about. We're going to have to do this by what God has spoken. I want to know your prophetic word because you live in Durban. You have to know mine because I live in Durban. That will give you a sense of what God thinks is needed here. So that's one. The second one is about the significance of convictions and burdens from God. The significance of the dealings of God in your heart. You are very significant. What God is doing in your heart is very important. Basically, it is what God is doing in Durban. If God is convicting you on issues and working in you about issues, that's the activity of God in Durban. It's not your conviction for your own issues. So we need to kind of undress our convictions a bit. It's not about you. Maybe we need to say that. Your convictions are not about you. They are about the, the intents of God, of the work he wants to do that he prophesied in advance or he prepared in advance for us. And they're happening to be taking place in your heart. You are the landing platform of God and these things are not about you. As much as they are addressing issues in your family, as much as they are addressing your immediate realities, they are not about you. And we just have to reconcile with that. That my, my conviction is bigger than mine. Let's look at Nehemiah's conviction. I won't read all this. I'll just highlight it, but you can read it. One to four. Nehemiah receives his brothers. They tell him about what's going on in Jerusalem. Because he inquired, meaning he was thinking about it. He said, how are things in Jerusalem? Or how are things at home? How are things in Umlaz? How are things in Kluf? So I inquire. And then you tell me. And then Nehemiah says something interesting here. When he heard these things, he sat down and wept. My question is, when you hear about the things your brother and sister tells you about their neighborhood, how do they sit in your heart? If I were to tell you that a few kilometers from my house, I'm not saying feel anything, just make an example. Six people were short. A colleague of mine was short coming back from work. That's the environment I live in. But the question is, how do I feel about it? How does it land in my heart that there are these troubles? What is my response? Nehemiah's response was, there's a way he carried Jerusalem in his heart. His response was weeping. He sat down. He began to actually mourn and pray to God about it. So another trick of us engaging God is our deep concern about the city. That's the church Deborah needs. Like I said last time when I was here, it is not our portion to complain. It's not your business. There's no grace for complaining. There will be no support from heaven from just complaining. No grace, zero. 
I don't want to go further what you're activating by it. Go to the book of Exodus, you'll find out. How, how are the news about the state of Durban sitting in your heart? And what is your immediate response? What does it provoke in your heart? But it must not provoke complaining. If it does, you need to kind of repent of that. Clean it in your heart. It doesn't help. You need a different response. Now let's look at Nehemiah's response. The first one was praying. Another thing that, the reason why I'm saying the significance of convictions and burdens, sometimes we take those things as if it's our personal thing. Like I said, the workings of God in your life are not just about you. They are not about you. They are bigger than you. This was the working of God inside Nehemiah. Second thing. So Nehemiah did the right thing. He prayed and whatever. There's a long story of what he did. But I want to highlight something else here. Number two. Nehemiah, he went to Jerusalem. He started checking things out. Sometimes the first response is not to do. It's just to go find out further. I know this in my line of work. Whenever you think you have an answer, you are lying. Go find out. You know. I have a particular hate for food passes. I'm not saying you shouldn't give them. I just have a particular hate. My specific hate for food passes. I just don't want them. I don't want to even distribute them. Sound insensitive, eh? That's me. Partly because I found out the need. The need is not that. Yes, the immediate one might be people are hungry, but I tell you, food parcels can be leveraged right now to something else. So the first thing that we must do, we must do what Nehemiah did. Engage the conviction of God, the burden of God in your heart with further investigation. Don't act. Don't look at the previous answers that have been given in that space. Investigate. Walk around. Find out. Ask God to lead you in finding out what is this thing about. That's, what, that's the kind of church Devin needs right now. There are a lot of things we think we know, but we don't know. We are carrying them as burdens and we have perceptions of them, but we've never really investigated thoroughly what's going on in there. So there's nothing wrong with investigating. It may seem very scientific. I do it very scientific. There's something we call a DNA map in my line of work. We go to a space and talk to the community about, score your community. How are the playgrounds? How are school attendance? We literally have 95 points of investigating the need from the community's perspective. That's when we discovered, hey, people here are not actually hungry. It's just because you're offering them food parcels, then they posture themselves to actually receive that. If you find out deeper, you realize, shucks, we need to respond differently to this thing. Amen? So investigate your conviction further. Don't rush to act. Just investigate. Second one, God has other people he is working with or at. He's working with in the same burdens you have. You are not the only one having these convictions. You are not the savior. You are not the one. No, you are not. If you've watched Neo, you are not the one. No. There are many other people God is convicting and burdening about the same issues from different angles. Around this time, if you look at the story of Jerusalem's restoration, there was Nehemiah, there was Daniel, there was Ezra. There were many characters that were involved in the restoration of Jerusalem. 
And some of them may have never spoken to each other. I don't know where Daniel was and Nehemiah was. But the key part of it is that the same burdens and same convictions are sitting somewhere else. So you have to honor them and begin to converse, start relationships through that. So investigating, number one. Number two, begin to share those convictions and your thoughts with someone else. Don't act. People accuse us of being slow in the line of work I do. I like slow. I'm not saying people won't die while you're investing. They will. But understand this. That can distract you from the very thing that God is doing. So investigate. That's the kind of church that Deborah needs. People who really found out, why the city? Why is it changing like this? Some people don't know that the city now, students live in the city, not, not corporates. No, no businesses in the city anymore. There are students who live in the city. Buildings. The FNP building, you know that brown building? It's a res now. So your assumption of what the city is and what it is, I mean, Quarantine Heights, I don't know what time you left there, but there's, there's students now, it's not residences that are there. So we need to investigate and find out and find out same people of same convictions. Same convictions. Now, my last thoughts on this is something that I want to correct in our mind, that I am correcting in my mind as well. It's the story of Mary and Jesus that I want you to probably to go read, just to adjust us when, we, when God responds to our prayers. We've done all this and now we've petitioned God and our expectation sometimes of what God's response should be is usually a human perspective of a favorable environment. You know, when God is going to respond, you already have a category, a criteria. If God responds, he must touch one, two, three, four. Am I the only one? So, there are two people in the Bible when God began to do major work, it wasn't pretty for them. The first one is the story of Mary. The angel greets him, highly favored. Wouldn't you like God to greet you like that? Hey, Jamie, highly favored. <laughs> but the story after that doesn't seem like favor. It does not seem like favor. I mean, even your culture kind of frowns at you. We do not know who the father of that baby is. Even the the husband-to-be is thinking of putting you aside. The scripture tells us he was, he was a righteous man. He was thinking of a plan. I don't want to embarrass this girl, but I do not want to marry her. Highly favored. So our response to favor must begin to kind of be tuned to God's dealings, not to what we think how God should respond. Even the culture, I'm sure, even if you hear when they talk to Jesus, when he's older, they do refer that we do not know. You know, we know the circumstances of your birth. There's still an argument who's your father. We need to interpret favor from God in a different ways. When the kingdom advances, we don't choose the circumstances. We don't choose how things can unfold. I mean, I would love to live in a suburb, Jamie, somewhere, where I don't have to hear gunshots, you know. I would love that. Sometimes I worry about it when I drive at night. But my advance of the kingdom says move from Glenwood and go to Umlaz. I used to live here in Glenwood, though there was a lot of crime when I left at that time. But the point was, I 
I was escorted here by blue security when I opened my gate. In Umlazi, I don't have that luxury. You don't choose the circumstance of your day when the kingdom advances. Amen. When favor comes, when God responds, or when God begins to craft the city or the, the church that Deben needs, we don't choose the, circum the circumstances or how people would think of us. Our preoccupation can never be that. So read the story of Mary. Both, some, some issues are both internal and external. Remember, we do have our internal conversations. I'm not sure what Mary's conversations were. The scripture gives us the, the worship she did. No scripture sometimes doesn't tell you the negative stuff that was going on inside people. It just tells us, he went to Martha, they worshipped, the Holy Spirit baptized John. Oh, beautiful. It doesn't tell us about the internal issues as, as it did with Joseph that he was thinking about getting rid of her. So the warfare is not just external. The warfare is also internal. You don't choose those. They're just part of the package. Relationship needed together by conviction of the Spirit working in people's hearts of that day. You're going to have to honor people's convictions. If you look at Mary's story, there was a lot of people. There was Anna, Simeon, Joseph, Mary, John's father with his own situations, Elizabeth. So if you think this is about you, maybe today reconcile with this. Your convictions, the dealings of God in your heart are far wider and bigger than you. And that conviction needs to knit you together with other people. Do the merry thing. When the angel has spoken to you and he tells you, Elizabeth is also carrying a baby. The angel didn't say, go to Elizabeth. Mary packed her bags and went to Elizabeth. So when you hear someone's convictions that are actually resonating with yours, the coffee is the next thing. No stories. I'm not used to that guy. You know, he's always quite... No. Be like Mary. Pack the bag. Go. And see what God does when you get there. So, 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 so a relational church is what is needed. People who are honoring each other's convictions, who will sit down and listen to each other's convictions and take them seriously. Even if I don't agree with you. I mean, I'm sure Elizabeth was kind of struggling. You, you. Me, I slept with John's father. You. That's why I'm just making it clear. The other one was pregnant. The other one was pregnant. But the other one had a husband. I'm sure they were intimate. This one. At least the angel had helped out. And said, hey, your Mary's carrying a baby as well. So honor other people's convictions. The last thing, the kingdom is costly. Story of Jesus and the cross. Everybody knows Gethsemane. We even have songs about it. There's something that Jesus is actually doing there. He's dealing with the fact that he doesn't want to go to the cross. Sometimes I don't, I don't want to do what I do. I mean, I'm being honest with you. I don't. I'm not always on fire. <laughs> I'm just dealing with the honest truth. I am not always on fire. Sometimes I get super irritated. I go home and just chill a bit. You know, I deal with the street that has many drunkard guys. This morning when I left, they were all in the shipping. These are my guys, my driver's license guys. I'm going to be meeting them this afternoon. There's a condition. If you're drunk, you can't come to Sunday afternoon meeting. It seems my meeting is going to be empty today. 
but I, I still have to wake up in the morning and know these are my guys. This is my neighborhood. If you are thinking about my neighborhood, that's my neighborhood. So, the kingdom will cost you. It will cost you your personal feelings, your personal opinions about people. That's the cost. You have to let them go. Undress them. Many views you have will, will have to go away. Valid views. I mean, if you were to tell to a friend, they are valid. These guys are not worth it. They are drinking today. We have a meeting in the afternoon. They know that we, they can't come to the meeting drunk. Let's cancel this driver's license program. Isn't that valid? But the driver's license program is our tent. It's where we get to actually talk to them. Sit them in a class. Engage their thoughts. Know about their kids. So it's not the driver's license we're after. We don't care about the driver's license. We want the conversation. We want the possibility of actually having someone have a different conversation than the one they're having in the shipping. So I'm not saying you won't be irritated, but there's a cost to that. There's a day where you don't want to do it. I want to encourage you to do it. Especially with your neighbor. With your neighbor. No, don't, don't, think, don't think far. Don't think Mozambique, please. Don't do it. I want you to think your neighbor. I want you to think your neighbor. I want you to think someone from other church that maybe you don't like the way they do things. That's the one I want you to think about. If, you, if ever you have a challenge, think of me and my guys. Andy Le could sit with those drunk guys on Monday. Me and my neighbor can sit. Are we together? So that's the kind of church Deben needs. Number two, there is issue of our will, our agenda. Our agenda is very strong, guys. Sometimes we, we think our agendas are small. You know, your agenda is sometimes the only thing that wakes you up in the morning. Your own dreams and goals. You know, the next steps of your life are usually shaped by those things. Where you're going to go next is shaped by those things. And sometimes we don't allow God's will to shape things. Because it's hard. It's painful. It has that thing of, I don't want to. I think leaving ICC, we discussed it over a year and some few days. I know it was a still deal. You must leave. But the issue was, let's talk about it at least for a year, maybe. So I'm saying that things that you're going to actually need help with that you don't want to do. And sometimes you're going to be like Jesus. You're going to actually ask the guys to pray with you and all that. And they're like, ah, please. So, so those are, are things that I believe that if ever we were to say we're going to be the church that Deben needs, we're going to have to balance one, prophetic perspective. Pray. Assessment of needs clearly, relationships, people that are there, the workings of God in my heart. Take them seriously. Not take them lightly anymore. Share them with reverence with other people. And reconcile with the fact that it's going to be hard. I'm going to pay the price. You know, and the price is not a star that you put on your shoulder again to boast about. I know as we humans, eh? We pay the price, then we feel like, yeah, man, gotta, gotta show this price off. Like, I paid the price. No. 
Because the more price you pay, the more you're going to pay. The question is, what is the next price? So my challenge as I close today is I'm talking about your neighborhood. I don't know who's your next door neighbor. Me, I have one guy who does dacha this side, the other one drinks a lot this side. This one lives with his girlfriend. I want them to married, so we're talking about that. The other one is dacha guy. I know his brother, he's a believer. That's my neighborhood. The next guy, it's just my reality. But in the midst of that, we're able to start a soccer team. We have 25 moms on our list now. In the same area. And again, it's not the soccer team, that's the purpose. We have a tent now, we're going to talk to moms about something. Amen. Your neighborhood. So, so if we're thinking what kind of a church Deben needs, it just needs you becoming more like Jesus. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, it's not going to be on fire every day. Oh. It's not be like, oh, Jesus, yeah. No. There are days that I'm different than others. I'm in a place of rediscovery right now in my family space. I'm trying to figure things out in a new way. New babies coming. A lot of things are happening. My fire is not as I would like it to be. But there are certain things I have to be consistent in because they are the advance of the kingdom in my space. Amen. God needs you considering things. Needs us considering things. Let me just, I don't know if you can stand him so I can pray. But God needs us considering things. God needs me considering my neighbor. Not because I want him to be saved tomorrow. Don't be tempted by that. Jesus chilled with guys for three years. I don't know if when these guys went on an altar call or something and committed themselves. One of them sold him. I don't know what your neighbor will do to you, but you can commit. You can commit. I just want to pray. Father, we thank you, oh God. We thank you that your word gives us a new possibility of life. It gives us new eyes to see the same environment that we walk in every day. It gives us new eyes. It gives us a new heart because you are at work inside of us, oh God. And Father, our cry today is that open our eyes, oh God. Cause us not to walk in shame because there is a need. Cause us, God, to walk boldly. Help us, God, to be more vulnerable. Help us, God, to be more connecting. Help us, oh God, to really shave off and undress things that disconnect us to each other. Help us, oh God. Help us to really, really, really become the light and the salt you need. Help us to become the light and the salt you need. Help us, oh God, to remain energetic in these things. Help us, oh God, to walk in reverence and share these things with reverence with others, oh God. You said in your word, those who feared God had a conversation and God wrote those things down in the book of remembrance. So Father, I pray, help us to hold our conviction as treasure like they are, as pearls like they are, oh God, as the dealings of God with our city. The dealings of God with our city happening in my little home. The dealings of God happening in our city, in my workspace. I am that dealings of God. I am the, the workings of God in my city, oh God. And Father, I pray that you may assist us, oh God, with your grace. Help us, oh God, to undress ourselves even more before you and say, give us more grace. Have mercy on us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.